The talk you are about to hear is by Zen teacher Sensei Amala Wrightson. Greetings, everybody. Um, this is um, the first ever Taisho I've given um, that I haven't had um, a Zendo with people in it, listening to it. Um, we're at home in our living room, as I expect most of you are who are tuned into our live streaming tonight. Um, today is the 24th of March, 2020, and uh, in New Zealand, we're on the brink of all going into strict, or fairly strict isolation for at least the next month, possibly longer, uh, to see if we can't slow down the spread of COVID-19 and avoid the kind of exponential rise of cases that's been seen in other countries and the many, many deaths. Um, pondering this move, I was reminded by um, quite a well-known quotation from Blaise Pascal. Um, he said, All the unhappiness of men comes from one thing, not knowing how to sit quietly in a room. Um, as meditators, we're really quite fortunate because our practice does involve learning, at least to some degree, how to sit quietly. We would, I think most of us practitioners, people doing meditation of all kinds, could imagine much worse fates than having to stay home for an extended period. But for many people, um, it's, it's a daunting prospect and people are very apprehensive. People, I'm sure, New Zealanders listening to this will um, have seen strange behavior, um, panic buying, not only in supermarkets, I heard this afternoon, but also um, bottle stores, people stocking up on liquor, various kinds. And it's not surprising because it's not just that we're having to go into, into um, seclusion, but there are many unknowns, lots of economic uncertainty, uh, worrying about um, whether whether bills can be paid and so forth, um, even though the government is doing a lot to try and allay people's fears on that front. We can also just um, remember the, the people on the front line, um, people, medical workers of different kinds, um, who may be much more likely to get sick with this. Um, I heard on a news item today that that over 20 Italian doctors have already died, um, no doubt because of their serving their patients. So it is a, uh, quite appropriate that we are exploring some Zen teachings um, to do with sickness and healing. Um, the first talk on this topic was a couple of weeks ago um, where we looked at a, a koan uh, from the Hikigan Rock or the Blue Cliff Record 
Part number three, Baso, sun-faced Buddha, moon-faced Buddha. And um, we ended that talk with um, the story of the Tibetan teacher, um, Yongi Mingyo Rinpoche, um, as told in his book, uh, In Love with the World. And I'll just read this last, the very last passage we, we looked at in the last talk. And this, this came, this um, uh, shift in his mind came after he'd been struggling with illness and whether to, he, he was on a long, beginning of a long pilgrimage and he got very sick and he was struggling about whether he should get in touch with his family to come and kind of rescue him or whether he shouldn't and he was just going back and forth um, excruciatingly unable to make up his mind about this. He's, he writes, A ball of iron stuck in my throat, blocking my breath, strangling any capacity for making a decision. Back and forth I went. This indecision cannot be sustained, I thought. I must choose one direction. Either one will be better than this. Go, stay, stay, go. Suddenly, I saw that I did not have to choose between living and dying. Instead, I had to let my body take its natural course and abide in the recognition of awareness with whatever happened. If this is my time to die, let me accept my death. If this is my time to live, let me accept my life. Acceptance is my protection, I told myself, and sought affirmation in a prayer by Togme Zangpo. And here's the prayer. It is, if it is better for me to be ill, give me the energy to be ill. If it is better for me to recover, give me the energy to recover. If it is better for me to die, give me the energy to die. So, um, Mingyo Rinpoche was able to come to this place of really, really open acceptance of whatever his fate was um, because he had this deep conviction that came from all the training he had undergone as a monk um, to, to, not f to see death and illness as uh, not things to be feared but rather um, as, as phases or seasons of life, part of life. And moreover, more than that, opportunities for, for realizing our unborn Buddha nature, both, both in illness and in, in death, where there are these opportunities to shed our uh, delusive attachments. In other words, opportunities for uh, enlightenment, awakening. And that, uh, that brings us to the koan that we're going to look at tonight. Um, also from the Hikigan Roku, it's number 87. And um, it's very short. 
Ummon's medicine and sickness are in correspondence to each other. Ummon said to his disciples, medicine and sickness are in correspondence to each other. The whole earth is medicine. What is yourself? So, um, other translations of this of this koan have uh, medicine and sickness subdue each other, or medicine and sickness cure each other or quell each other, and I think these these are all a little bit um, uh, definitely subdue and quell are perhaps um, closer to the original than correspond to each other. We'll look into that a little bit later. Um, Ummon may have have um, got this um, saying from um, a story in the Avatamska Sutra, an exchange between Manjushri, the Bodhisattva of Wisdom, and Sudana, who's a, a pilgrim, a young pilgrim in one of the, the chapters, the most important chapters of the Avatamsaka Sutra, and he goes to visit many um, enlightened masters seeking the truth. And this story goes that one day Manjushri asks Sudana to pick some medicinal herbs for him. And first of all he says, bring me, bring me something that is not medicine. And Sudana searches all over, but he can't find a single thing that was not medicine. And so he goes back to Manjushri and tells him, well, I have nothing to give you because I couldn't find a single thing that wasn't medicine. And then Manjushri says, well, okay, go ahead and gather me something that is medicine. And at that point, uh, Sudana bent down, picked up a blade of grass, uh, plucked it from the ground and gave it to Manjushri. And Manjushri then held it up and showed it to the assembly and said, this medicine can kill people and it can also bring people back to life. So just a little bit now about our our single protagonist in this koan, the great great master Ummon. Ummon is is of course his his um, Japanized name. All the all the names that appear in our version of of the Hikigan Rocky that we work on are are Japanized names, but he was like. Most of the other figures in in the Hekigan Rock, he was Chinese, and his Chinese name is um, Yunmen Wenyan, and he died in 949. Just a little bit about his life. Um, he was born into um, the Chang family 
in Jiaxin of uh, Jake Yang. And uh, this is, I'm reading now from The Golden Age of Zen by John Wu. And he guesses that um, the family was probably uh, very, very poor because they placed their son um, in the monastery at a very young age before he was even at an age where he could be ordained and under a finia master and um, he was he was recognized as having exceptional intelligence and also a very powerful gift of eloquence and so as soon as he was old enough he uh, the monks shaved his head and he was ordained and he stayed there with the Vinaya master studying the um, the precepts under this master uh, but at a certain point he realized that they that they that he had questions which they couldn't answer these texts and that he he felt as John Wu puts it that he that they did not throw any light on the most vital problem of his own self. We can relate this, this back to the, this staying, saying he has of um, all the world is medicine. What is the self? So anyway, to, to um, pursue these questions, he went to see a master, great master called Mu Zhao, who was a, um, himself a disciple of Huang Bo. But as soon as Mu Zhao saw him, he slammed the door of his, his hut and um, wouldn't let him in. And so Yun Men knocked on the door and Mu Zhao asked from inside, Who are you? And Yun Men replied by telling him his name. And then Mu Zhao said, What do you want? Yun Men replied, I am not yet enlightened on the vital problem of my own self, and I have come to beg you for instructions. So then Mu Zhao opened the door just a little bit and took a quick look at him and then banged it shut again. So over the next couple of days, Yun Men um, kept coming back and kept having the same experience of being rejected, sent back, sent away. And then in the following day, um, when the master opened his door a, a crack, Yun Men pushed, pushed in, put him put himself through that gap and then the master grabbed him and said speak speak your men then was trying to think of something to say and Mu Zhao pushed him out again but this time when he pushed him out um, he closed the door on his foot and um, Yunmen actually has broke his foot 
in the in the door it was so forcefully closed and at that moment um, he had an insight and this was his his entry you could say his entry into Chan to Zen and so then Wu Zhao suggested that it was time for him to go and train under another master Shui Feng Seppo And then there's a there's a, a well-known story about um, his first encounter with Shui Feng. When he got to the village at the bottom of the mountain where the monastery was, um, he met another monk and he asked him um, if he was going to be going up the mountain that day. And this guy said that he was. So Yuman asked him if he'd be willing to deliver a message to the abbot, but presented it as, as his own. And the monk um, foolishly consented to do this. And Yuman said, um, well, after you get there, as soon as you see the abbot, go up to him, clasp your hands, and stand up straight before him and say, poor old man, why does he not take off the chain from his neck? And the, this monk, we're told, went and did exactly as he been told to do. Um, but uh, Shui Feng, of course, um, intuited that these were not the words of this guy. And so he came down off his seat and grabbed him and said, speak, speak. And then at that, this poor monk didn't know what to do. You could just imagine him sort of going, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah. Oh. And then Shui Feng says, those words aren't yours. And for, for a bit, he, he tried to stick with the story that they were his words, but eventually um, Shui Feng uh, called his attendants to come with ropes and sticks. And of course, this frightened this young monk out of his wits and he's confessed that they weren't his words but they belonged to a monk um, from Jack Young that he met in the village and then the abbot said to the rest of the monks there said go all of you to the village below to greet the one destined to be the spiritual guide of 500 persons and invite him to come so he was given given a great welcome And then they they brought Yun Men before the master, Shui Feng, and he asked him, How could you arrive at your present state? And Yun Men said nothing but just lowered his head. And the story goes that from that moment on these two really saw eye to eye and he stayed several years with, with Shui Feng. Um, under, and under his guidance, went deeper and deeper into the into the um, the teachings of Chan. Then, once he had he had completed his training under Shui Feng, he he went out um, uh, visiting other monasteries um, until finally he came to place called Lingshu where there was a master Chu Sheng who was the abbot and Chu Sheng had been the abbot of this temple for a long time for over 20 years 
Um, but he had kept one seat in the Zendo, the, the, the leader of the Zendo seat, uh, empty. But so from time to time he would speak mysteriously of someone destined to, to fill that position. And then on the day that um, Yun Men was uh, to arrive at the monastery, um, the abbot suddenly ordered his monks to strike the bell and go out, of the, out to the gate to welcome in the new assembly leader. And so the whole community went out and there was um, Yun Men who had arrived and he did in fact become um, the, the abbot of this, this Ling Shu temple. Yun Men was, was particularly known for um, his eloquence and his, at the same time his great caution around words. Um, his, his awareness that, that words could never come up to the, to the di directly experienced truth. He was also um, renowned for his one-word answers. Just a, some examples of these before we go back to our case. What is the right Dharma I? That's E-Y-E. All comprehensive. Question. How do you look at the wonderful coincidence between the chick tapping inside its shell and the tens pecking from the outside? This is a metaphor that's used for student and teacher. The chick being the student and the, and the teacher being the hen. And his answer to that question was echo. What is the one road of Yun Men? Answer, personal experience. Another one. What is Tao? And it's the way. Answer, go. And another one. Where our, late, where our late teacher remained silent when a question was put to him, how shall we enter it in the epitaph? Teacher. There are many, many, many stories, more stories about uh, young men. Um, it's just an, an indication of um, how powerful his teaching was. Um, there are so many, so many koans in which he features and, and other stories. Um, he's also known, and he was the founder of one of the five main um, houses of Zen, the, the Yunmen or Unmon school, um, but it died out. And um, it is said that the reason for this is that his teaching was so steep, very uncompromising. Okay, now back, back to our, our case. Ulmon said to his disciples, 
Medicine and sickness are in correspondence to each other. The whole earth is medicine. What is yourself? The whole earth is medicine. What is yourself? If there's nothing in this in this world that isn't medicine, then then who are you? To to ask the question, who am I, or what is this, or mu, is a kind of sickness. It's it's in a sense it's it's adding something on to things as they are. And it can feel like that. It can feel um, artificial sometimes or um, too much. Sometimes somehow it can seem to get sometimes get between us and and this whole earth just as it is. But at the same time, these very questions, who am I, what is this, Mu, they encapsulate the, the unity of sickness in medicine. We're moved to take up these questions because of our, our unease we, we start to practice to, to address our questions, to address our unease at, at the birth and death. You could say that our, our dukkha gets us moving, questioning, searching. And, and this, this searching can, can open things up for us. So there's a, there's, a, there's a very close relationship between the sickness and the medicine. This is what this uh, koan is, is talking about. Is a, a Japanese Soto master, Tenke Denson, from roughly about the same time as Master Hakuin, states of 1648 to 1735. And he says about this, about Omon's medicine and sickness, quell each other. The sages and ancient Buddhas all had prescriptions for practice and realization. To those who were trapped in the notion of existence, they gave them the medicine of non-existence. To those who were trapped in the notion of non-existence, 
they gave them the medicine of existence. So we could say for people who are attached to phenomena, they gave the medicine of emptiness. And for people who are tra trapped to, to emptiness, they gave them the medicine of phenomena. He continues, they measured and they measured out 84,000 medicines to treat the 84,000 illnesses of ordinary mortal, mortals. It, the, this, this number 84,000 is, is found in the sutras and it is suggested that there are um, that we unenlightened ones, ordinary mortals um, suffer from 84,000 different types of delusion and so for that reason there are 84,000 different practices to, to um, treat those different illnesses that we have So here, Tenke is bringing out the, the point being made in the koan that, that medicine and sickness corresponded to, to each other in the sense that we apply this, the, the um, particular, a particular medicine to a particular illness, to quell it, to subdue it. But then, uh, when the sickness is cured, then you discard the medicine. You don't keep taking the medicine once you're healthy. If you do that, then it can actually make you sick. So, so medicine quells sickness, but also sickness quells medicine in the sense that, that um, They cancel each other out, and medicine can become a kind of poison um, if you take it when you're not sick. It only acts as medicine to a sick person, so they they are um, very much in correspondence with each other. When the sickness is gone, then the medicine has to go too. If not, it turns into poison. And uh, And sometimes in, in Buddhism we talk about um, uh, Zen sickness. Um, this is something that the teachers, the masters, are vigilant, vigilant, vigilant about um, pointing up. Secho in another koan, in his verse, he says, uh, the enlightened person must take medicine for the illness of having no illness. Or the Buddha talks about throwing away the raft once you've crossed the river. It's only a burden if you keep carrying the raft after you stop needing it. We can, um, and the this, this sickness, or sometimes it's also called, called a stink, is when we, we attach to our attainment. We we make 
make a thing of the fact that now we're in some way free of suffering. In the in the Tonglen um, slogans, the Vajrayana tradition, there's one that goes it goes something like this. Um, Pride is like a ghost who silently follows after our good deeds. We, we could say follows after our insights. And so if we do, if we do get filled with pride over our, our good deeds or our insights, then um, we're turning something that is um, healthy and and um, beneficial into something we cling to, and therefore um, it solidifies the self and weighs us down. So this this these statements by Ulman are, are pointing to to um, They're really pointing to the realm of um, of training or cultivation. We and we we all engage in this in our practice. We find we can maybe we have some um, something that's bothering us, and we try and find the right antidote and we apply it. And uh, it can be it can be uh, helpful. But if we if we become pr uh, uh, proud about some uh, attainment we had or something we we um, free ourselves from, then. It turns into another fetter to weigh us down. At one point in Tenke's commentary here, he says, um, Immon's prescription here is special. If the whole earth is medicine, what illness does it cure? Where is yourself? Right at this very moment, what is this? It is all medicine, naturally complete, without cultivation. What practice or realization would you talk about? So, in this in this um, second part of of Uman's statement, the whole earth is medicine. What is yourself? He moves us beyond this um, still quite dualistic level of training or cultivation, seeing, finding, applying antidotes to our our. issues or our problems, um, he moves us past that into something else, something beyond this, this relative approach, which has its place, but goes only so far. And he asks, he asks, what if the whole earth is medicine? What are you then? What happens if you remove 
the, the designations medicine and sickness, which, which are, are relative terms, they're two sides of one coin. What if you, if you go beyond that and if you were to look at everything in the universe as, as being medicine? We can we can um, explore this the statement of of hormones uh, in in many different ways. Um, we can apply this to um, the pandemic and what we what we're. Um, Going through as we as we try and get a handle on this this um, disease that's being spread. The, the whole earth is medicine. What is yourself? Probably most obviously we can say we say if we treat our situation as medicine, it will be. And if we treat it as poison, it will be. If we if we can see our enforced seclusion as an opportunity for Dharma practice of different kinds, then, then that's what it'll be. Perhaps we will have more time to sit. Um, even if we're still working, we may have, we don't have to travel, so there may be more time in the day than we can, that we can devote to our sitting. Or we may be having to live at, at close quarters with people that we usually um, get away from in the daytime. That maybe raise all kinds of uh, things. So it may be an opportunity to, to really take up the practice of forbearance, of patience, understanding, empathy. Or we, it may be a chance to let go of um, different kinds of habits that we have, especially um, filling our lives with, with um, busyness, or rushing about, fleeing from conflict or anxiety. Or, um, Irritation. Another way we can we can uh, approach this seclusion is perhaps we if we get if we start to chafe at it, get grumpy about it, we can look at it as a kind of kind of act of loving kindness. We're all in this together. We can, we can think of our, our isolation as a kind of offering to each other. The, the etymology of the word pandemic um, is, it's, it comes from two Greek words, pan meaning all 
and demos, meaning people. So it's it's very the very word that describes this phenomenon is pointing to the fact that we're all in this together. We may may need to use our imaginations more to to sense this since we're physically separated it may be easy to to forget people who we don't don't see in front of us as much um, but but still to to if we get frustrated or we get lonely or bored just to in that moment wish that these difficult emotions um, being felt all over the world at this point um, you know wish that they could be alleviated notice that 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 vulnerability that we all have and perhaps also we can we can shift from our recognition of all of us all people being in the same boat to a sense of all beings there's some some interesting material coming out now um, about some of the, 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 the causes and conditions of, of this uh, that which led to this particular pandemic. Of course these, these um, pandemics have been around for a long time. Um, there's a long history of, of periods of plague. Of course just a hundred years ago the 1980 flu pandemic where, where many millions died um, so they're, they're a part of, of, of having bodies that these things happen. Um, but this particular one, and people probably know about, about its source in, um, I think, coming from, from bats uh, to pangolins that were probably in cages side by side in these, this Wuhan wet market. And it's, it's called a wet market because it sells um, raw, raw fish and meat of different kinds. But the interesting or sad thing about this this um, wet market is that uh, it, it would be a place where all kinds of, of wild animals can be bought f for eating. Um, in the, just in that Wuhan market, apparently there are also available live wolf pups, salamanders, crocodiles, scorpions, rats, squirrels, foxes, civets, and turtles. That's on top of the bats and the pangolins. And one writer um, points out that, that there are markets like this in many, many parts of the world 
and that they provide important sources of food to hundreds of millions of people. There's enormous pressure on our earth to feed humans right now. Enormous pressure, enormous pressure on what's left of our forests. And uh, some evidence that diminished and degraded forests bring us into contact with, with wild animals that we normally wouldn't have any contact with at all. And so these are uh, ripe fields for this kind of transmission of new, of new um, viruses from, from animals who've been um, tolerating them for, for a very, very long time to human beings. Another writer um, on this, this topic um, was searching out for some of the positive things that we can, we can um, see in this pandemic. Um, she pointed out that the emissions, uh, worldwide emissions, have gone down uh, markedly since the beginning of the pandemic, as people move around less. People are finding other ways to meet that, that don't involve travel. And perhaps there's some hope that these will continue after after the we go back to um, normal movements. But she says probably the, the, the most important Thing we can um, learn from this what we're going through now is that if we want to we can act quickly and decisively and we can find a way to support everyone in making a, a major shifts in the way that we um, do business and interact with each other have to really have a response from a government that recognizes that we're all in this together. So perhaps, so perhaps this, this COVID-19 response can be a kind of dress rehearsal for more adequate response to climate change. Of course, there's also the possibility that we just go back to business as usual and busyness as usual after this blows over, which it will eventually, we don't know when. So if we, again, going back to our koan, if we, if we treat this as medicine, it will be medicine. If we treat it as poison, it'll be poison. 
it's so much harder for us to 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 see something like climate change which which unfolds um, over tens and, and hundreds of years um, much harder for us to appreciate that change rather than something as immediate as as COVID-19 where we've seen how rapidly things unfold in, in, in days and even hours these sharp rises that have been happening over these last few days here even Interestingly, um, George Monbiot points out that uh, um, among the governments who have um, had particularly poor responses to the pandemic, um, uh, uh, Australia, Britain, USA, and could also probably add there Brazil, who um, are major uh, climate deniers as well, or at least um, ignorers, near deniers. Um, and he relates this to the, the willingness of these governments to um, take risks with other people's lives. So our time is up, we'll stop here and recite the four vows. All beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gains beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha, I vow to attain all beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions, I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure, I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha, I vow to retain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha, I vow to attain. The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www dot auckland zen dot org dot nz